Hope is something we cannot live without. Author Hal Lindsey expressed humanity's desperation by saying, man can live about 40 days without food, about three days without water, about eight minutes without air, but only for one second without hope. For many people, hope is nothing more than wishful thinking. Wishful thinking produces pithy acronyms like hang on, pain ends, and hang on, peace exists. Word plays like that might make us feel better momentarily, but they have little ability to sustain hope. Biblical hope, on the other hand, is the confident expectation that God will do what He says He will do. Because it is rooted in God's reliable Word, biblical hope clings to the promises and prophecies made throughout the ages by our Creator. I'm Ron Jones, and this is Something Good. Hello, and welcome to this edition of Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. My name is Brian, thanks for stopping by. Today, Ron takes us to the book of 1 Peter as he continues his teaching series, Route 66, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. That message is straight ahead, so stay with us here or visit somethinggoodradio.org to listen on demand. That's somethinggoodradio.org. While you're there, check out Something Good Television, Something Good Courses, Something Good Travel, and the new Something Good Digital Library, where you can search for biblical answers to your questions from nearly 30 years of Ron's Bible teaching ministry. Now here's Ron with part two of his message, First Peter, Born Again to a Living Hope. Yeah, there's a final judgment to come where all wrongs will be made right and where justice will be delivered divine justice. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, Peter says, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were, I love this, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Peter probably had in mind Isaiah, all we like sheep have gone astray. And we are, you know, we just, Prone to wander, the hymn writer said. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. He says, you you were straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the chief shepherd and the overseer of our souls. I, I, I take this to mean God doesn't delegate the oversight of our soul to anybody. He takes full responsibility for it. And I love that. I, I wanna get closer to him, not farther from him. Uh, Chapter three begins with Peter addressing the believer's living hope as expressed in Christian marriage, another uh, important relationship. He encourages a wife to respectfully submit to her husband. Here's the reason why. So that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Ladies, uh, biblical submission, whether it's to the government or to an unjust employer or master or in the marriage relationship, it's all about respect. We've lost respect in our society in a large way and we don't understand uh, authority the way God does. Uh, Submission in marriage is about respecting your husband enough to give him the room to do what God tells him to do is to love you and to lead you, okay? 
And Ephesians tells us that a husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. There's order in the relationship there. Not that one is better than the other. Submission is not about lying down and being a doormat. That's what the world will tell you because they don't understand biblical truth. But we have to submit to authority figures all the time. Uh, you know, I, I, have, I always say I have four bosses here. They're called the, um, the lay elders of the church. I submit to their authority. They can come in at any time and say, Ron, you know, and I'm accountable to them. And I'm called the lead pastor, and I'm called the president of the elder body, <laughs> but I'm accountable to the elder body, right? That's just how it works. And, and you, you just make sure you're respectful about that and give them uh, the leadership to move. Now, to husbands, Peter instructs husbands to live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Oh, okay, I'll get to that in a minute. Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. There's equality there. Different roles, but equality. And he says, husband, so that your prayers are not hindered. You, you, you may not be on praying ground because you're not treating your wife properly. Don't bring your prayers to the Lord if you're not honoring her. Peter says she's the weaker vessel. Yeah, in the sense that she's kind of like fine china, guys. She breaks more easily physically and emotionally. My, my wife has uh, a lot of fine china that dates back generations in her family. It's been passed down and passed. We have a very special place for that in a you know, beautiful china cabinet. I learned a long time ago, you don't take fine china and toss it into the dishwasher, all right? I might have learned that the hard way. But um, you, know, you pull it out for special occasions. You, 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 you treat it carefully. It's easily broken. It's valuable. It deserves honor. In our home, there are generations of you know, stories to tell with that. And then you got your everyday dinnerware, right? Yeah, you toss that in the, in the sink or you toss it into the dishwasher. You know, I, I love the plastic tumblers. Who cares what happens to them? Don't treat your wife like a plastic tumbler. That's what Peter's saying. She's the weaker vessel. Although she may have a strong, strong constitution, guys, she still breaks easily. So what a wife needs from her husband is tenderness and care, tender with your words, tender with your touch. Ladies, the number one need for a man is not sex. It's close. It's respect. It's respect. We, we, we stumble over that word submission, but it's, it's, it's all about respect. That's what he wants, is respect for the responsibility God has given him to lead and will hold him accountable for in the marriage relationship. Uh, Peter uses the word finally to begin the summary of his thoughts about our living hope in respectful and submissive relationships, and he encourages in all such relationships, unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind, before reminding us of how, he says, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Again, I take that to mean God doesn't hear every prayer. Okay? 
Doesn't hear the prayer of a husband who beats up on his wife verbally or otherwise? You get that right first. And then, you know, bring your prayers to the Lord. And his eyes are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil, okay? Until they, they come to faith in Christ and they come to the cross like anybody else does. All right, from living hope in salvation and in respectful, submissive relationships, now we transition to living hope in suffering. And, and, and Peter uses the word hope for the fifth and final time in chapter three and verse 15. He loads it up in chapter one and, and then a couple times in chapter three. He says in three and uh, verse 15, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. There may be somebody who comes to you and says, I don't get it. My hope evaporates as quickly as I, I, I get a little dose of it. Why do you have such hope? Do you have an answer for them? Can you give an answer for the reason, for the hope that is in you, that living hope? Uh, that is tethered to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I, I love Peter's use of the, the Greek word apologia here, to make a defense. Don't get defensive with the gospel, but be ready to make a reasoned defense, uh, a Christ-like defense of the gospel. When suffering, he says, for righteousness' sake. He, he drives that idea home several times throughout his letter. It's one thing, he says, to be a you know, to, to suffer for righteousness sake. Uh, Ron's translation is, don't be a jerk for Jesus. You know, I mean, don't, don't suffer because you're a jerk for Jesus or, or because you did something wrong, but when you suffer for righteousness sake, uh, you may be in a position then uh, to, to defend the gospel, to make a, an, an apologetic defense, uh, to give people a reason for what you believe and why you believe it. He begins his entire discussion about our living hope and suffering by rationalizing, for it is better to suffer for doing good than, if, it, if that should be the will of God, than for doing evil. And then he, not surprisingly, turns to Jesus as our example. He says, for Christ also suffered once for sins, uh, for uh, the righteous, for the unrighteous, that he may bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive uh, in the spirit. Uh, there in chapter four, in the beginning, he also tells us as believers in Jesus Christ to faithfully administer the spiritual gifts given to us. First uh, Peter chapter four, verses one to seven, in that range there, um, uh, is, is uh, one of four New Testament passages that identify the spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to the body of Christ. And uh, the idea is that every believer has at least one spiritual gift, and we must discover that and then put it into service in the body of Christ. Dr. Ron Jones will be right back with the second half of today's message, First Peter, born again to a living hope. Stop by somethinggoodradio.org anytime to find out more about the ministry to ask our ministry team to pray for you or to order selected resources from our online store. Here's Ron with a special announcement about a brand new resource he wrote and we're offering on Something Good Radio. Ron's new book, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible, Volume 1, Old Testament, is now available for pre-order. 
For a gift of $30 or more, request your copy of the 384-page book today. When you order the print book, you'll also get instant access to the Route 66 Digital Library. That's a $275 value. The Digital Library contains 66 video sermons, 66 audio messages, 66 downloadable sermon notes, and 8 ebooks. To pre order your copy of The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible, Volume 1, Old Testament, go to somethinggoodradio.org. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Or mail your gift of $30 or more to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia, 23456. You can also call our offices at 757-276-1099. Now let's rejoin Ron for the rest of today's message. First Peter, born again to a living hope. Uh, Peter also talks about how uh, the persecution was intensifying back in the first century. And he offers the following perspective in chapter 4 and verse 12. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial. Now he's gone from various trials, kind of everyday trials, to when the heat turns up, the fiery trial. Do not be surprised at it when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. It reminds me of the time the Apostle Paul wrote to the Philippians and said, I want to know him. I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. Yee, rah, sure, we all do. But I also want to know him in the fellowship of his sufferings. It reminds me of the foxhole experience that military people talk about. We were in the foxhole together. When you suffer for the sake of Christ and for the sake of righteousness, you share an intimacy with Jesus. Maybe somebody despises you and rejects you for your faith in Christ. Glory to Jesus in that. And go talk to him about that because he's going to pull you aside and say, I know something about that. I know something about that. And then we come to chapter five where um, Peter transitions his thoughts to uh, this living hope and uh, how this, this flows through those who shepherd the flock of God. Those who shepherd the flock of God, I wrote down, must be conveyors of living hope. I hope that I and any other pastor on our staff that we're conveyors of living hope. That's where Peter directs his thoughts in chapter, uh, uh, chapter five. And he says, as witnesses of the sufferings of Christ, shepherds or elders must exercise oversight, listen to this carefully, not under compulsion. We're not gonna twist anybody's arm to lead the church, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Yeah, how we lead is important. Uh, Check out the section on our website titled How We Lead, because it talks about not only structure, but also the culture, and has uh, much from places like Peter's first letter here, a description of how pastors and elders lead and have oversight of the flock. Those who shepherd the flock of God well, Peter says, will receive an eternal reward. He calls it the crown of glory. It's one of five crowns mentioned in the New Testament for faithful service in a variety of areas. Here, there's a special one for those who shepherd the flock of God. 
And he says, the crown of glory um, will be given to you when the chief shepherd appears. Again, Peter can't shake the idea of the second coming of Christ. And he's saying to people who are experiencing various trials and some that are experiencing a fiery trial, you know, set your affection on things above, not on things on this earth. Set your hope on the return of Jesus Christ and on the reward that is yours. You know, God has a better reward program than, than Marriott or American Airlines or, or any of these reward programs out there called eternal rewards for faithful service. That's why it's important to discover your spiritual gift and put it into service. Because one day as a believer in Jesus Christ, you'll stand before the Lord and he'll say, what did you do with the time, talent, and treasure I gave to you? He goes on to say that casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you is the best response to sufferings in the present world, those sufferings that threaten our peace, those uh, sufferings that threaten to steal our hope in any given moment. And he says that shepherds and the sheep they serve must also be aware of the enemy, the enemy of living hope who seeks to destroy us. He tells us to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God and also adds this warning about the battles that we face in the spiritual realm. Chapter five and verse eight, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Don't let that thought drift very far from your, your mind as you start the day. Know that he's got you in your crosshairs. He wants to destroy your Christian testimony. He wants to steal your peace and your hope. He wants to destroy your family. But greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, John will tell us in a couple of books here. In the meantime, Peter says, resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Born again to a living hope. You know, King Solomon in Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 12 said, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And I think he was on to something there. If your hope is uh, nothing more than a bumper sticker or a social media post kind of hope, that dissipates quickly, your heart is sick more often than not. You've lost hope. If Hal Lindsey is right, we're one second away, just one second away from losing hope. Unless we, we take Peter and the word of God seriously, born again to a living hope. That living hope is only accessible to those who are born again in Jesus Christ. Have you been born again? That's the first question. And then if you're a born again believer in Jesus Christ, but you've, you've kind of lost hope in some way, why, why? Maybe you needed this reminder today. Your hope is not in this world. There's nothing in this world short of the word of God and souls that will satisfy you or that will last beyond this life. Fix your hope on what is to come, that inheritance that is yours in Christ, kept for you in heaven. Undefiled, unfading, imperishable. I can't wait to get there. I really can't. Not in a hurry to get there, but you know, don't take that wrong. But I look forward to that. And I can take the, uh, the momentary trials of this life 
the three steps forward, the four steps back, or whatever it might be, and put that into a perspective about the living hope that I have in Christ. So resist the devil, fix your eyes on living hope, and trust the chief shepherd and the overseer of your soul, Peter would say, uh, to keep hope alive in you because he's keeping that inheritance secure for you. And one day this will all get put into perspective and uh, we'll understand. We'll, we'll see with eyes that we don't see with today. We'll experience with uh, emotions and other ways of experiencing things that we don't experience today. It'll all make sense to us. Peter's gonna tell us in his second letter, a thousand days, or a thousand years is like a day to the Lord and a day is like a thousand years. I know it seems long and arduous, these various trials and these fiery trials, but from God's eternal perspective, it's just so quick. So hang on. Hang on to the living hope that is yours in Jesus Christ. Thanks so much for being with us for today's Something Good Radio message, First Peter, Born Again to a Living Hope. And Dr. Ron Jones joins me in the studio. Ron, one of the big ideas in First Peter has to do with biblical hope. As I was listening to you today, a question began to form in my mind, and that is, what is the relationship between hope and faith? I love the question, Brian, and we could spend days on this one, but I'm going to do my best to keep it short. Uh, one of the things I said in part one of my message on 1 Peter is that biblical hope is the confident expectation that God will do exactly what he said he will do, not only in the future, but also in the present. Uh, biblical hope, in other words, is more than wishful thinking. Uh, there is a degree of expectancy attached to it. Now, as to the relationship between hope and faith, consider this. Any person who has faith also has hope, but a person can have hope without having faith. And let me explain what I mean. If you have faith in Christ for salvation, hope is automatically included. The two work in tandem in that way, but only when faith is present. Show me a hopeless person, and I'll show you someone who, at least temporarily, lacks faith. On the other hand, you can have hope that God will give you that job promotion, or you can have hope that Jesus will return in your lifetime, but just because you hope it, doesn't mean you have faith that it will happen. Faith in those situations would have to be preceded by a promise from God. Otherwise, all you can do is hope. So the two things, faith and hope, are, are beautiful gifts from God. But where faith exists, hope also exists. While conversely, hope can exist without faith. One can be confidently expectant, that's hope, without having total assurance, which is faith. That's Dr. Ron Jones talking about the relationship between hope and faith as we wrap up today's message, First Peter, Born Again to a Living Hope. Ron, let's turn our attention to our next stop on our journey through the Bible. Second Peter is on deck. Tell us a little bit about where you're headed. That's right, Brian. Second Peter is our next stop on the ultimate road trip through the Bible. Now, I'm sure many of our listeners are acquainted with what we might call retail piracy. You know, fake Rolex watches or fake Louis Vuitton purses and the like. It's big, big business and a serious crime. Well, counterfeit Christianity is also a serious matter. 
and has been going on uh, almost since the church was founded in the book of Acts some 2,000 years ago. It feeds on false doctrine. It sows mistrust. It damages the reputation of the church that Jesus is building. So the New Testament, including here in 2 Peter, speaks out against uh, false teaching vigorously and emphatically. It's critical for us as believers in Christ to learn how to combat this counterfeit Christianity. And Peter's second epistle equips us to do just that. I'll talk more about this uh, important subject next time as I move ahead in my teaching series, Route 66, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. That's next time in Dr. Ron Jones' message, Second Peter, Growing in Grace and Knowledge. Join us then for Something Good. For Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis. Thanks for listening.